This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Glad to have you with us for episode number 45 of From the Braves Booth. It is a special trade deadline edition of our show, and it's great to have you with us. Alongside Joe Simpson and our producer-engineer, Jonathan Chadwick, Ben Ingram here with you, coming to you from the home radio booth here at Truist Park, where tonight the Braves take on the Angels in the second game of this three-game series. One more game tomorrow, and then off on the road to see the Cubs, Pirates, and the Mets. But uh, all the attention today outside of the actual game is on the trade deadline. And, Joe, the Braves have made some moves here in the last several days days, but making a move today, bringing along uh, reliever Brad Hand. You and I have talked about how they needed some pitching and needed to add to their bullpen, and they've done that. Yeah, they have, and uh, he's been through the wars. He was with Philadelphia last year, pitched in the World Series for them, uh, did a good job in uh, situational relief. He's really tough on lefties. He's got a real funky delivery. He's been a closer before, so he knows what that's like, too. So he's a veteran presence and a good pickup. Yeah, definitely so. And, of course, as we're recording this right now, still three hours till the deadline. It's actually 3.02 Eastern time on uh, Tuesday, August 1st. Our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com. That's bravesbooth at gmail.com. Any questions or comments you might have uh, down the road, feel free to fire away, and we'll get to those over the course of uh, one of our podcasts, I'm sure. But we have lots of questions today and lots of those questions about Uh, The trade deadline, and I think the biggest question is, with three hours to go, are the Braves still active? Do they make another move or two? Or do you think they're pretty much done for this uh, go-round? Oh, I don't think they're done. I I never think that Alex Anthopoulos' brain ever shuts off at a certain point uh, at the trade deadline and says, okay, that's good enough. Right. He's just not made that way. And he's got a good group of people that uh, help advise him, too, on things that come their way. And, you know, here late, uh, all of a sudden, there's some other names that are popping up that uh, I'm not going to say we're on the no-trade list, but all of a sudden uh, you hear that the White Sox are listening to offers for like Dylan Cease. So uh, things like that will happen here over the last three hours that we'll see if, uh, if if it triggers anything for Atlanta. Once we get to the Q&A portion of our show, that's when Jay Chad joins us. Right now, I think he's keeping a close eye on Twitter for us in case something breaks. In fact, in the booth just next to us, and we can see him through the glass, Mark Bowman is doing a video Q&A. Why Bowman's doing anything with video, I have no idea. But uh, on, on trade uh, deadline day, I guess there's a demand for even Bowman, huh? Yeah, and I, I hope the camera's kind of pointed up you know, so it, it's just mostly his forehead and <laughs> and the ceiling. Uh, but, no, I don't understand that either. But he's a busy guy today working yeah. for MLB.com and trying to uh, uh, add credence to a lot of rumors out there, I'm sure. A couple other moves the Braves have made. Pierce Johnson comes over from Colorado. Uh, also, the Braves went and got Taylor Hearn from Texas for one outing and then sent him to Kansas City for Nicky Lopez. And the Braves were able to add some depth defensively. I think it's really big. Well, you know, the Braves saw a need coming up for that one outing for Hearn, so they they got him for that and then flipped him. Uh, Nicky Lopez will come in and uh, be the, uh, I guess, the jack-of-all-trades. He can play up the middle especially uh, defensively, and uh, he could play anywhere really on the infield. He played first base the other day for the Royals. So um, he's a guy that um, has some youth, speed, and uh, some credentials under his belt that will, I'm sure, go a long way toward giving Brian Snitker some confidence that he can use him anywhere. Let me ask you this. With what we saw two years ago, as the Braves went and added a bunch of outfielders, and all of a sudden they caught fire, took off, won the whole thing. Did that change your outlook on how you view the trade deadline? In other words, uh, when, when a team comes up to the deadline, I know the Braves have the best record in Major League Baseball right now. But with what teams can become after the trade deadline, I've gotten to the point now where if a team is fourth, fifth, sixth best record in their league, I'm not discounting them yet because they could be a completely different team come August the 2nd. Well, remember some of those trades. Think about those. Braves were able to get Adam Duvall back from Miami, and he was leading the league in home runs. Crying out loud, you never would think that, but uh, Alex pulled that one off, and, and Adam really helped the ball club. Uh, later on, as you said, in 21, getting Eddie Rosario, he wasn't on anybody's radar. Right. And he was hurt. 
right so that was a pickup that everybody just kind of went oh yeah okay but he turned out to be enormous for the ball club in the postseason so jorge soler we knew that he had power he had demonstrated that in chicago he'd done it in kansas city how that was going to translate over here we didn't know and lo and behold he played really well in right field right after ronald got hurt and we all know how important he was down the stretch so sometimes they're not the names that are in the headlines they're maybe in a secondary level that you you don't really pay a lot of attention to alex certainly pays attention to those and how they can impact this ball club not only on the field but in the clubhouse too yeah he's done such a great job of identifying that and I think in years past, you might get to the trade deadline and you look at the first place teams and you think, how can they better themselves? But now with a deeper postseason field and more teams getting in, I'm wary of other teams now who aren't leading their divisions. I wonder what some of these second and third place teams, if they make the right moves, could potentially be. I look at the teams in the Central with the Brewers and the Reds and the Cubs. And while throughout the season, you look at them as, okay, one of those guys is in first place, but they're not the Braves. They're not the Phillies. They're not the Dodgers or, or even the Diamondbacks. But those teams can change an identity quickly, and I think that's now on my mind more because we experienced that two years ago. Yeah. We were not on anybody's radar two years ago. We were under 500. Right, at, and at became something totally different. I, I think that plus the expanded postseason field really makes things interesting across the league. Here's the way I look at those teams you're talking about is uh, how does how does any acquisition affect them in a short series you know, are you, are you adding a, a stud starting pitcher? Right. Where all of a sudden now they can wipe you out in the best two out of three because they already had one or two other guys. Uh, how does it affect them in a five-game series, seven-game series? Did they become a whole lot tougher to beat? I don't care where they finish in the standings. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're going to have to contend with them if you want to advance in the postseason. Uh, the Phillies last year did that. They improved their bullpen. Uh, they did some things with their starting pitching. Ranger Suarez got healthy, brought him out of the bullpen, put him in the rotation. Now all of a sudden they had Nola, Wheeler, Suarez, and those guys were going to town and got to the World Series. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. I, I don't worry about somebody overtaking the Braves in the standings as much as I look forward to thinking, what if you have to play them in the postseason? Yeah, because like we were saying two years ago, it's great when teams are good in June and July, but that doesn't matter come October. Who are you October 1? That's what matters. And we had three teams last year in this league win 100 or more games, and none of them advanced to the championship series. That's a great example. And um, and I know you could make an argument the other way with, you know, the Astros were the best team in the American League, and they went all the way through. But the National League was a perfect example of what teams do at the deadline and the expanded field and how unpredictable things can get come October. Um, that brought to mind um, for a second, and now it's left me. Um 100 wins. Oh, the Reds. Uh, they were talking about the Reds today, and the Reds have some good young pitching, starting pitching, but their name was rumored like Logan Gilbert in Seattle. Now, I don't know if Seattle's really serious about trading that kid. He's so good, and he's so important to their ball club, but it, it told me that the Reds are kind of taking a page out of the Reds' book, out of the Phillies' book, saying, you know what? Our starting pitching could dominate some people and we got a good enough lineup now right where we can score enough runs to win if the reds get a good starting a frontline starting pitcher watch out yeah that'd be a team look we saw them at their place and the braves took two out of three but all three games are one run games they got my attention yeah uh, definitely did something that i really take a lot of comfort in and, and like we we're discussing earlier uh, the braves just got brad hand today they've added pierce johnson they've added uh nikki lopez whether Alex is finished today or not, something that, that well, number one, num- what we've seen from Alex over the last few years, it's been amazing, so you trust him a lot this time of year. But something that Snit told me on the last road trip, I said, tell me what this is all like for you leading up to the trade deadline. How involved are you? Um, how often do you have dialogue with Alex? And he said, we talk a lot. He said, but this is a, a stressful time for, for Alex and his bunch but they like this. They enjoy this. Uh, they really shine this time of year, and they, they take a lot of enjoyment in what they can do to better the ball club. Um, so, so, so to me, it's, it's not just guys who have a job to get done, but this is what they do. They love doing this. Well, think about it. Uh, since the beginning of the season, uh, the way the team's playing, you kind of play along to find out what kind of team you have. You're not really sure coming out of spring training. You think you know. And uh, then all of a sudden – 
uh, May rolls around and you start seeing some uh, warts somewhere that maybe you'll have to address and certainly injuries that you might have to replace. And then uh, as we get into July and narrowing down toward the trade deadline, there's a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And that's where the good ones really shine. You don't have any urgency in May and June unless you have some catastrophic injury where you've got to figure out a way to replace someone. But when you get to this point, it is, I'm sure, the sense of urgency becomes a little chaotic. And the ones who can handle it are the ones that are very successful at it. And Alex is a dandy at it. So good and uh, so creative. Yeah. I mean, because it's not just the big names. He'll make It's like you mentioned two years ago with some of the names that the Braves added. In the moment, maybe didn't think too highly of some of those players. You thought, okay, this guy will help. You didn't know that they're trading for the to be National League in or the uh, NLCS MVP no. and then the World Series MVP. Those two guys weren't even part of the team nope. before August the first, and you traded for those two guys. So you just never know what those guys are going to come up with. And I just love thinking about Alex and his guys this time of year because this is what they do and this is when they shine and I can't wait to see how creative they get uh, by six o'clock today you know one of the saddest parts about uh, the celebration of the world championship was uh, the parade and the uh, ceremony here at the ballpark where Alex wasn't able to participate and take it all in he had COVID so he watched from up in one of the suites up here high in the stadium and that to me Uh, was sad in that respect that all this hard work he had done and what he had done that directly affected the team to help them win a world championship, he couldn't revel in it a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying he needed that. I'm just saying he deserved it, and he needed to be on the stage with his players, and that was kind of sad. Yeah, we wanted it for him, and only one thing to do, Joe, just go win another one. Go do it again. And be healthy this time. Yeah, uh, I still think, uh, uh, personally, it's just an opinion, I, I still think they... Uh, they addressed one area in the bullpen, needed an arm. It's a veteran arm with Brad Hand. That's great. Uh, starting pitcher would be even better. Yes. If they can get another starting pitcher and one uh, of some merit, uh, not necessarily one just to be making a deal, and I don't think he makes those kinds of deals, uh, but I'd love to see a starting pitcher come in. There, there's a lot of talk about uh, around the league about uh, Rodriguez from Detroit, Cease from Chicago. There was about Verlander, but now he's going to Houston. Well, those guys are coming, going to come to go to any team at a heavy price. Yeah, those are frontline guys, and they're going to be expensive. And I think that's why you haven't seen them move yet, is because nobody's really jumped in there with both feet, saying, "Okay, what do you want?" Right, right. Because they are going to be expensive if you get them. To back your point, the Astros are sending two outfield prospects to the Mets in exchange for Verlander, their number one prospect in Drew Gilbert, and their number four prospect in Ryan Clifford. So that's the kind of currency that you're dealing with. It took two of their top four prospects to get Verlander back to Houston in hopes that they can get back to the World Series. So you're right, it's expensive, and it costs something to get something, doesn't it? It does, but uh, if you look at Houston's ball club right now, their starting pitching is really laid up. they got a lot of guys hurt. They they needed Verlander. They had to have him, and thus you hear the cost that it took to get him because – they needed some desperately needed some help, and he's the kind of guy that can help get them right back in it. J.J. and I were talking about this yesterday. When you go back to 2021, I, I could make the argument that the year the Braves won the World Series, they still didn't have enough pitching. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the two guys who got starts that we've talked about before, Dylan Lee and Tucker Davidson. Yeah, right. Still, still ran out of starters but still won the thing, and, and that's why, to me, the emphasis is all about pitching, and if you, you – I'm excited about Nicky Lopez, or if they added another left fielder, uh, right-handed power bat, so be it. But I'm all about volume on the mound, relievers, starters, anybody you can get, because whether it be to get to the postseason or come the postseason itself, you just need as many arms as you can get your hands on. Kyle Wright won 21 games last year, uh, but his coming out party was the World Series. And I, was it the game where Charlie got hit in the leg? And No, it was the game where Dylan Lee started and couldn't get through one inning. Oh, that's it. And then Kyle came in. He did make two appearances in the World Series. He did. Yep. But I think that was the first one. Yeah, he. well, it was his coming out party, yeah. though. He pitched brilliantly, and it was like all of us went, oh, there it is. Yep. That's the guy we've heard about. And the, that confidence carried right on into 2022 for Kyle Wright. Uh, for... <laughs> 
you were talking about the two guys who made the starts and the lack of depth. There's never enough. Ian Anderson, you know, hopefully be back next year sometime. Um, and Kyle Wright, maybe before the end of the year. Let's hope so. Let's go to Max Fried real quick. He, it is rumored, it is said that he will pitch this weekend in Chicago at some point against the Cubs. That's a trade deadline deal right there. Mm-hmm. You're getting a frontline starter right there getting Max Fried uh, to go with the guys that you already have. That's going to be a huge shot in the arm for the Braves, provided, fingers crossed, Max remains healthy. That's right. And, and I think about um, I think about that. I, your hope is that when these guys come back that they can be themselves, and maybe within two or three starts that happens. It, it wouldn't shock me at all if you know, Max has got a little bit of rust, obviously, when he comes back. But your hope is that by Labor Day, he's back into form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to see what they would do with Kyle Wright should he be ready to come back. And he maintains that early September is his window. Could be a little bit later than that because he's um, he's throwing a few bullpens. He's going to throw live BP and then rehab and then could come back. But I, uh, to me, for a guy like that, especially for a guy who's done it before, I'm not in any rush to get him back into the rotation. I'm not either. You could use him out of the bullpen. Right. Uh, he could get an inning here or there and do exactly what he did in 2021. So the, what I'm getting at is is just to have options, to have multiple guys who can say, we can try this, we can try that, he can do this, he can go over here, he can start here. I just like having those options late in the season when everybody's tank is on E. That's why I want to see Mike Soroka uh, get more starts for the end of the season. I want to see him uh, get into some – type of rhythm uh, a groove if you want to call it that get some more starts get some more innings get some confidence back so that there's another option there is a guy if you need him that you could even use in the bullpen if needed uh, to help this ball club and certainly give you that uh, depth you need yeah so once this is all complete and uh, we get past six o'clock tonight then you're talking about what do we have 58 games left after tonight is that right something like that 57 57 left after tonight and uh, wrap up this homestand and then you are who you are and hopefully you stay healthy in the final 57 games and then some into the postseason and see how things shake out that's another exciting thing too. get all these guys in and then figure out, okay, whose role is whose. I think you feel pretty good about the very back end with a Rysel, but how you get to from your starter to Rysel, that becomes kind of an open competition again, doesn't it? It does. It does. And and another lefty down there to go with A.J. Minter uh, is going to help Brian Snitker immensely, knowing that he's got another guy he can go back to mm-hmm. if somehow the – the order, the batting order flips around where he's got to get a lefty. He's got to get Bryce Harper out in a key situation, and he's still got another lefty down there. That will be a comfort zone for him. Uh, let's talk real quick about Toronto. Toronto suffered an injury last night. Uh, uh, Bo Bichette just running, tried to stop between first and second, and messed up a knee. How severe it is, I haven't heard. But not wasting any time, Toronto has already gone out to get another shortstop, uh, Paul DeYoung from uh, the Cardinals, as insurance. What a break. Now, this is going to sound bass-ackwards here. Um, (laughs) What a break for Toronto that that happened last night. Yeah, not tonight. And not tonight, where last night gave them 24 hours to go get somebody else. Anything happens now from this point forward injury-wise to a team you're locked in. This is who you got. Kind of what we said about Ronald two years ago. Yeah. Hated losing him, but yeah. lost him before the deadline yeah. rather than a month later. That's right. And then you'd have been, well, what do we do now? Well, you'd have been cooked. You'd have been uh, out of luck. The only uh, recourse you have there is uh, keep an eye on the waiver wire yeah. every day, yeah. every minute, to see if somebody gets released or designated. Timing's everything. It is, and uh, that's why we all, as Braves fans, keep our fingers crossed about every one of the guys in the lineup because they play so much uh, especially those in the infield right they play every day every inning and you just want them to stay healthy and not have any nagging things that bother them uh, we'll just all keep our fingers crossed for that that said do you expect Nicky Lopez to give guys on the infield a blow here and there or do they just keep doing exactly what they're doing and you'll throw him in if you need him eventually I hope I hope that's the case uh, I hope they all you know, get a day, yeah. Uh, maybe work again, work it in where there's a day off that follows, uh, just to give these get these guys off their feet a little bit. That's my opinion. That's my observation. There's no signs from anybody that they need rest. 
the way they're playing, the way they're swinging the bat, it's like, yeah, you're fine. You're okay. Uh, I had a manager do that to me one time. Um, it was in AAA, and I played every game. And I did play every game of that season that year. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a rest. I think you need How old it. were you, by the way? I was 25. Okay. I was 25. Um, and he said, I'm going to give you a rest, so go do whatever you want to do tomorrow. Go play golf. You know, you and Kathy go somewhere, whatever you want to do. So we did. I played golf. And then that later that day, I played tennis with Kathy. Um, I think we even swam a little bit. I came to the ballpark, took batting practice, and Ben, I'm every swing I'm hitting balls out of the ballpark. I'm just raking balls everywhere. And he goes, Del Crandall. And he goes, you don't need a rest. And he put me in the lineup. I was dead as a hammer out there. <laughs> I, I was all cramped up. My legs were... <laughs> and he just watched BP and he goes, oh, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that was not a good idea to go have a good day. Anyway, that was just a side story. Well, that's another thing about being a manager because the off day could affect different uh, guys differently. I mean, the mm-hmm. off day for Ozzy versus Austin versus Matt, I mean, they may respond in different ways. I don't know. I, I've always been under the impression, I know Snit is with his pitchers, he, he's always told you and I both, you get to this time of the year, if you can get an extra day for your pitchers, he leans on the side of doing that. It's funny that it doesn't really happen much with the position players. I don't know that that's all Snit's call. I don't think these guys want to be out there right. every single day. Yeah, there's as, as he said, there'd be a fist fight. They don't want to yes. come out. Uh, Charlie was an example of that last night. He got an extra day uh, for his start last night and got off to a rotten start last night. Couldn't get his curveball to go where he wanted it to. But the, he settled in, pitched better as the game went along. Um, with, with respect to that rest and with Brian, I, I think – one of the things you can do uh, position player-wise, what managers and hitting coaches see is bat speed. That's what, they're, that's what they see, and they, they say, oh, he's tired. He needs a rest. Uh, you're late on pitches. You're fouling everything off to the opposite field. You're not getting around on balls. That's a pretty, pretty telltale sign right there that uh, Ben needs a rest because – He's not catching up to anything. General fatigue. Yes, general fatigue. <laughs> Hello. Um, that's a telltale sign there. And then I think the the radar gun in one way is one way of telling for the pitchers that, man, he's he's not getting it up there to 94 like he was. Right. You know, we need to have a talk with him. Yeah. So there's, there's ways to see it and feel it and figure it out for a manager who has all that experience. And those are just a couple of ways. All right, Braves and the Angels tonight. And, uh, again, the trade deadline comes and goes here in about, uh, as we're recording this, here in about two and a half hours, just a little bit over. So um, most of you who are listening to this know more than we do right now because you'll be listening to this after the trade deadline. So hopefully – there's a, another move or so that gets made by the Braves between now and 6 p.m. Eastern. We Before we sign off, we could say, well, here's what's going to happen. We're, and you'll know this when you listen to the podcast. Yeah. Now, we didn't know this, but we're telling you, here's what's going to We could predict some stuff. Yeah, yeah. And if we nail it, we're going to feel oh, like we're brilliant. People think we really know our stuff. Yeah, just getting lucky. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, multiple pages of questions, and we appreciate you all taking the time to, to, number one, listen, and number two, send us some questions and comments, and that's bravesbooth at gmail.com if you'd like to send some our way. And uh, we can go ahead and get fired up here, unless there's anything else you want to touch on. I'm we good. Dive into this? I'm good. All right. Um, here's a really good one. This is from Ron, and this is perfect with what we're talking about right now. It seems like we see elite bullpens every time we see a new opponent. Are there more guys throwing 100 miles per hour? now than ever i think there's no doubt there are what do you think about that joe i agree there are uh guys just something about their training something about their coaching and their mechanics and athleticism guys are just bigger stronger and they're airing it out and i don't see any end in sight i don't know if there's a limit to the human body and the arms and shoulders in terms of how how hard is too hard you know, their arm's just going to fly off Yeah. because um, it, it's just something that's really kind of come into play here. I don't know, Aroldis Chapman, yes. you know, when he was consistently in the hundreds, it's like, wow, here's the next, here's the next generation. So um, 
I wish there were two or three of those on the Braves staff. But <laughs> Me too. I like those guys. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, yeah, there's more and more all the time. And, and it, it doesn't come as any shock that the better we get with technology and video and the ability to break down the human body, the more that that evolves. I, I think the more that the human uh, body is going to follow that, at least up to a certain point. Like you mentioned, what's the levi- uh, level of the human body? What's the limit there? I don't know. But I know that we can find out the more advanced technology is around following uh, the biomechanics of these players. And more and more guys learning that, gaining knowledge, and pushing their bodies further and getting greater results. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I do too. And it's a shame we don't have a, an orthopedic guy on standby right here. We could bring him in and have him give us their analysis, yeah. especially on the uh, frailties of a human shoulder. Uh, you guys are headed on the road trip, and you go to Chicago first. Where are you going to have dinner in Chicago on Thursday from James? James, we're going to rerun one of our favorites. We're going to hit up Gibson's Thursday night. Uh, I kind of got late on the uh, dinner reservation train. I looked, and I was trying to get dinner reservations for 5, and, and I couldn't do it before or after like 5 o'clock. I changed it to 4, and there's a sweet spot right there. So oh. somebody's going to have to go. It's going to be me. Uh, Pete, J. Chad, and then I'll make J. Chad maybe flip a coin. Choose somebody. Mm-hmm. Choose our fourth. Good. Okay. All right. Hey, welcome, Jonathan. Hey. How are you today? Good. How are you? Good. Are you happy today? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so convincing. That was, that was not the answer I was looking for. I wanted to see old, cheerful, smiley Jonathan. Well, he, I, I'm just going to call you happy today. I hope I'm really happy. Come six p.m. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's a couple of things that would cheer him up. Number one, this is not going to happen. He didn't get packed today before he came to the ballpark. No. I really didn't either. So he and I are going to be dragging tomorrow for that noon game because we're going to be sure having to stay up late to pack. We've got a three-city trip to pack for, brother. You ready for that? Not really. <laughs> well, that's that's the next question. Rich, he says, how hard is it to pack for a three-city trip? There you go. Extremely hard. Sometimes you go to three different cities, three different climates. Uh, you may have a dome stadium. You may be working outdoors. You may have a night where you get to go to dinner. So you got to take a little bit of everything. How many suitcases are you guys going to take? I'll take one suitcase. It will be busting at the seams and a garment bag. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll do the same. I've got the I'll, – I'll have you know, some of the polos or whatever that I wear to work in the garment bag. But the, the most valuable thing about the garment bag is it has this big pouch on the outside – and I'll stuff it with dirty clothes because uh. I hate putting dirty clothes back in the suitcase with the clean clothes. So I'll just take them out of the suitcase, wear it, and they go in that pouch in the garment bag. So by the end of the trip, it's an empty suitcase and a very heavy garment bag. Let me give you a little veteran tip. Please. Okay. You don't play golf, Ben. Uh-huh. Jonathan does. He's got a travel bag. Take that bad boy. Make it look like you got clubs in there. That becomes a great laundry bag right there. That's not a bad idea. Every time I've taken my golf clubs on a road trip, it's unbelievable how much stuff I fit in that bag around <laughs> the golf clubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And shoes, too. You can put a ton of shoes in there. Yeah, that's a good point. Shoes take up a lot of room, yeah. and they're heavy. Your boots. Yeah. yeah. Usually just wear those, and that way wear those and then throw in some shoes I can go to the gym in. Mm-hmm. Call it a day. Two shoes for the whole trip. Two pair of shoes. I could. I might throw a third in just to – it won't ever be more than three. Three is usually the max. Because, I, I mean, at that point, what, what are we doing? Well, we used to have to really dress up for the plane, for the charter. Yeah, We yeah. had to wear nice clothes, nice shoes, and uh, you weren't allowed to take jeans or Levi's with you, no tennis shoes. Uh, so you had to take two or three pair of nice shoes. Now, yeah. now you can get away with, you know – two pair of tennis shoes and you're good you, you absolutely would back I'm, in those days where we had to wear a sport coat yeah. tie, slacks dress shoes every yeah. every flight that added to what you had to pack if you're going on a three-city trip unless you want to wear the same sport coat every stop you have all these extra clothes just to get on a plane well tv tv was horrible because we always had to wear coat and tie uh, unless it was really hot on a rare occasion we might wear a polo but every night you've got a, a dress shirt and a tie-on. So you're taking a clean dress shirt for every game mm. and a different tie just to look decent. I remember a few years ago, this was probably 2018 or 19, we were in New York, and I decided we had a three-city trip. So I decided I'm going to take two dress shirts instead of three or four or whatever it normally was. 
And when we get to the hotel in New York, I'm just going to have maybe the white or blue one dry cleaned at the hotel. Yeah. It's the last time that happened. Yeah, how much was that bad boy? I don't remember, but it was so it was so expensive i said never again (laughs) (laughs) probably about half as much as the shirt costs yeah here's a good one love the podcast and the work you guys do i've been working on a 2021 world series team ball collection and have recently acquired a joe simpson and ben ingram ball are there any j chad signed balls floating around out there to complete the best radio booth in baseball thanks for all that you do and the information that you bring each game that's from jared in Carrollton, there's at least one ball out there floating floating around in Southern California somewhere. That's the that's the place where I saw Jay Chad sign an autograph. I don't think that guy wants to part ways with that ball though. They're very very rare. Well, you've signed a lot of balls. It's just a matter of us getting the one to this guy who's writing in and try to get him fixed up. Yeah, we need to have him send a ball in, and you can sign it, send it back to him. Yeah, one of one. One of one. Uh, let's see. Um, there's an interesting one. Before this game, this first game of the Angels, the Braves are 21 and 19 against AL teams. So they lost last night. Now 21 and 20, 46 and 17 against the National League. Not just a question, but an interesting narrative that I haven't heard discussed much. That's from Michael. You really put anything into the the record versus the American League at all? No, not really. Um, and I tell you why. If you look at who the Braves have played and what their record was like going to Oakland and getting swamped there, coming home and getting swamped by the White Sox. We're talking about some teams that aren't very good. In fact, they're both horrible, and yet the Braves lost two out of three to them. So sometimes it's it's about who they've played and who they lost to that that won't happen again. Yeah, I think so too. Sometimes over the course of a long season, it just happens. I don't think it – has anything to do with the American League or the National League? Sometimes it just happens. You lose ball games. Yeah, yeah. and it, it depends greatly on what pitchers you run into. Yes. Yeah. Even the bad American League teams have one good guy sometimes too. Here's a good one from uh, Jen, and I think this one Joe can answer. Why does the TV booth have faces for radio, and the radio booth have faces for TV? Oh. <laughs> Well, Jen, that's something that we remind the TV side of all the time. And uh, their producer, Gretchen Caney, comes over here to our radio booth all the time and kind of cries on our shoulder, cries on Jonathan's shoulder a little bit, saying, you know, I wish I had these guys over there in the TV booth instead of what I have to deal with over there. And a large part of that is just their general appearance. Sure, it is. Well, you know, attractive people flock together and... Mm -hmm. The other way around, you know. So well, we all hang together over here. We offer our condolences to Gretchen, and we appreciate you no- noticing that, Jen. <laughs> uh, I had one here from uh, Jeremy Longshore, the asphalt cowboy, one of our buddies, uh, who says, uh, keep it between the ditches. Hey, if I head west, what's the best part to experience Braves action? What, what would you guys recommend to him? out west all of them uh and ben and i got a chance to meet jeremy in cleveland he's mm-hmm. a truck driver happened to be in town he came to the game he tweeted ben and we went out there and we met him and i'm so glad we have the opportunity to meet him he's he's a great great guy but i would say going out west really anywhere in the nl west to me is good i love colorado um ballparks how almost 30 years old how old it is now and it still looks brand new to me it's so clean dodger stadium is a great place to watch a baseball game san diego at petco park oracle park in san francisco um i even like seattle yeah seattle's awesome um oakland's really good um (laughs) no it's at what (laughs) yeah phoenix is okay and it's so hot there that obviously they play inside so I don't think you can really go wrong anywhere in the West. Yeah, some good ones, at least in the National League. I mean, um, yeah, like you mentioned, I love going to Phoenix, the ballparks, whatever, but you know you're going to play because they got a roof, and I like that. San Diego is great. Love going there. But as far as the ballpark itself goes, I think the other three I really like a lot, uh, L.A., San Francisco, and, and Coors in Denver. Um, you can't go wrong with any of those places. And Cowboy, just find the best place to park your rig. That's I, I, it. That's going to be tough. Plenty of parking in Oakland. <laughs> you, could, you could part a fleet of rigs in Oakland. Uh, ben, what's one unique thing about the guys that you have worked with this season? That is from Brian. That's a 
There's a lot of unique things about all the guys that I've worked with. Well, we learned some unique things about Nick Green yesterday that we can't discuss on this podcast. Yeah, everything I learned about Nick Green, I wish I hadn't learned. I know. Uh, it's too much info. Yeah. Nick is so prepared. Um, I can throw absolutely anything at Nick Green, and he's going to have something to go with that and uh, really follows the game. He is locked in. When it comes to Pete, he is a live wire. I mean, you have no idea what he might come up with, what he might say. The best thing about working with Pete, and this isn't anything derogatory about his work on the air. His work on the air is great. But he has said some things in breaks that I didn't think I was going to be able to stop laughing and speak by the time we came back from the break. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it be something that he said or something that he did, um, hilarious. Darren O'Day has such a great memory. He's got so many good stories. He has so many good angles. Um, he can see something in a game, and it just sparks something in his mind, uh, remembering an experience that he had uh, in a situation like that or, or a player that he knew. And um, really good at breaking down pitching. I've enjoyed that. Kelly Johnson's so much fun. I mean, Kelly wants to have a good time. He knows every everybody knows Kelly. Yeah. Um, and that's a really cool thing to have as well. So uh, of all the guys that uh, have worked with us this year, I, I think those are kind of the things off the top of my head that uh, I throw out as uh, superlatives for the for the individuals. And, and all of them good. All of them good in their own right. All of them uh, individual in their personality. That's that's a good thing. The thing about Peter uh, that I uh, latch on to and how much I appreciate him is his self-deprecating humor. Yeah, you know, He's first to criticize himself or make fun of himself. That goes a long way. Um, this is from, I don't have a name, but they wanted to know, yeah, two questions. One, during the Zach Gallon perfect game, you guys started talking about it and then someone yelled at him that he has, was throwing one. Was that Jay Chad? Yes, it was. <laughs> if Snit gets another ring as manager, how likely would he be to get inducted into the hall of fame given his career in the major leagues and minor leagues oh yeah keep up the good work from blake in minnesota that's a good question um i mean three you're pretty much a lock i mean you think about bochi and some of the others there are lots of guys who have won two um tom kelly has won two uh cito gaston's won two um i'm gonna have to think about some other guys who have won two maybe la russa he won two or three. I think he's won three because he won two in St. Louis, one in Oakland. Yeah. They okay. won in 89 and then 06 and 11 with St. Louis. Okay. Um, but, yeah, there are multiple guys who have won two. And who knows? I mean, it's Snit might want to continue doing this another 10 years. Right. But, but I think two, you're kind of maybe in the discussion. But mm-hmm. you won a third as a manager. I feel like most of those guys are pretty much in. That's a really good question, though. Um, do you do you guys ever get a little starstruck when guys like Trout and Otani are in town? That's from Ken. I, I don't think so. And, and I hate to say it like this. I feel like we get a little bit jaded just because I mean we're around Ronald Acuna all the time and Matt Olson and Austin Riley and Max Fried, Spencer Strider. So we're around some of the best in the game. It's fun to see it, I think, from a historical aspect. And as much as we love the, the, the team, we love the game. So getting to see players like that come in, uh, I put a lot of value in that, getting to say, I called this guy's games. It meant a lot to me to be in Detroit and call a Miguel Cabrera home run just because of the historical aspect of that, uh, Albert Pujols and such. But if I see when I see them, if I see them in the cage, it's not, oh, my gosh, they're so-and-so. It's, oh, this is great. I get to watch that guy tonight. That's how I feel. And on the flip side of that, I am sorely disappointed that we don't get to see Mike Trout. Yeah. You know, I was looking forward to this series and with Otani and Trout coming to Atlanta for our fans, and Trout once again is hurt, and that is very disappointing. Yes. So I like seeing the best guys. Me I too. Want, I want to check them out. And I like our fans getting to see that. Uh, and that's that's the added benefit of playing a balanced schedule is if you live here in Braves country, you know that every two years you're going to see anybody you want to see come in. Yeah. Uh, this is from Chris Johnson, J-A-U-N-S-E-N in Bethlehem, Georgia. Long-time listener, first-time writing, couple of questions. What do you think of Kevin Krause, the new PA voice of the Braves? I think he's doing a great job, but wondering what your take on PA announcers are being announcers yourselves. Do you typically tune them out and other Braves vision distractions completely when you're doing a game? 
I'll go first. I, I think Kevin's doing a, a nice job. Uh, it's always tough to step into the shoes of somebody who's been here and been a, a fixture uh, uh, like his predecessor. So that's always a tough chore. So we actually we congratulate Kevin because there was a there was quite a tryout, if yeah. you will, competition for that job, and, and he's got it. And uh, it won't take him long to become the same type fixture. Uh, we do tune them out. Uh, I do uh, as much as I can because I'm talking and right. I got I, I got to concentrate on what I'm saying and the point I'm trying to get across, as opposed to listening to what they have to say. Uh, the Braves vision stuff. The only thing I say about that now is it's just too loud. Sometimes it's really good, and I think our fans love stuff between innings, whether it's karaoke or whatever it might be, just the music, dancing in the stands. I think they do a great job with that. I just don't like it to filter over a certain time point where the umpire's looking up at the press box going, hey, we're playing a game here. Right. That's that's it. I, I think the only time that – of course, we, we hear him um, – I think the only time that we really hear PA announcers uh, regularly is if they're horrible. Mm-hmm. So if if they, it's kind of like a good umpire. If you don't notice an umpire down there, he did yeah. a really good job. Yeah. And if we're sitting in the stands, I think you'd hear the PA announcers a lot more. We just don't really hear. I mean, we hear them, but we tune them out because we have a job to do. We're talking to the microphone, and if I spent time listening to what other people were saying, I wouldn't be able to speak myself. It'd be like. You know, that whole chewing gum and walking at the same time kind yes. of thing. Yeah. So we don't really – I don't think we really notice them. We hear them, but we don't really focus in on the job that they're doing. So I say all that to say if he were not doing a good job, we we would have talked about it a lot at, at this right. point. Right, And And I will say this, too, about Braves Vision. The graphics they have now on the, on the screen for uh, the hitters, the pitchers, their stats and everything – uh, for an old guy, they're so much easier to read now than trying to cram so many stats uh, and nonsense onto the screen at the same time. They're easy to read. They're pertinent. They're good. Great pictures. And that video at the start of the ball game, and I complimented them. Uh, hopefully the compliments went right to everyone who was a participant. That video at the beginning of the game right after the National Anthem is about as exciting every night as anything I've ever seen at a Braves stadium. Because we've seen it 50-something times, and it still hadn't gotten old. No, and we get goosebumps every time we see uh, that last out made in Houston. So they're doing some really good stuff that we appreciate, too. That video before the game that they play, the hype video, you know, mixing the guys from the past and with the current guys. and Mm -hmm. Like you said, the Jorge Soler home run in Houston – Literally, we look at each other every night, and the hair on our arms is standing up. Yeah, it is tremendous. By the way, you want to break some news, JC? Uh, yeah, it looks like the Phillies are close to getting Michael Lorenzen. Is that a pretty good month of July? He's given up just three runs the whole month, um, up and down before then, but a, a veteran guy that'll soak up some innings for him. He's tough. You know, he's tough-minded, really good competitor. Uh, the Braves beat him in Detroit when they were there uh, six weeks ago. But he's um, he's tough, and he can work out of the bullpen. He could pinch hit if you needed him to, yeah, too. Yeah, he's, uh, he's that good. This is a really good one from Jim in Farmington, New Mexico. And we talked about Farmington, New Mexico yeah. on the broadcast last night. He says, you guys are very entertaining. Yesterday's starting pitcher for the Angels was Silseth, and he is from Farmington. You mentioned Farmington's claim to fame as some UFOs in the 50s. That is true. However, in the baseball world, Farmington has been host of the Connie Mack World Series for 50-plus years now. And I read a stat recently that over 800 players from the World Series have spent some time in professional baseball, and Silseth was in the World Series here. Thanks, Ben and Joe, for every and everyone else. Great job, and I wanted to meet Jay Chad at some point. That's from Jim in New Mexico. So, yeah, UFOs and the Connie Mack World Series. They got it locked down, man. Yeah, they do, and, and it's a, a, a great area, northwest, far northwest New Mexico. I had an aunt and cousins who lived there uh, for a long time when we were all small. Uh, they actually ad- adopted uh, a, not a, a Navajo boy there as well. It's a big part of our family, and um, they loved it. They loved it. How far is that from Albuquerque? I couldn't tell you. Okay. Uh, Albuquerque is more or less uh, dead center, Yeah. let's say. And if you go up to the far northwest, northwest corner, corner, that's yeah. where Farmington is. So 
Uh, it's probably a couple hours away, I would guess. The land of enchantment. He mm-hmm. said he thinks he wants to meet me. Yeah. Oh, why is he unsure? Well, he's talked to us privately. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, we really went thumbs down on that idea. You do not want to meet this guy. Uh, can you guys talk about your access to the team before game, on the road, after the game? Has it been talked about to have someone on the field as the TV crew does for in-game updates? Love the broadcast and the job you do. That's from Eric in Aiken, South Carolina. That's a really good question. And something we talked about the other day. We sure did. I, when it comes to the postseason, well, certainly when it comes to clinchers, we already have the best man in the business for the job. That's you. Oh. I mean, you've done some – we've had some fun with those. Yeah. Um, but we discussed before about having someone on the field during the postseason, and that could be an idea that gets thrown around. I'm we've not sure. We've, we've done it before, yeah. Uh, I did it for the home games in 2019. Um, but, yeah, that's something we could tap into and do a little bit more of come the postseason this year perhaps. I think it would be a, a real nice compliment to what we do. Yeah, especially as big as those games are. But um, as far as the access goes, I mean, we – uh, we, we see them all the time, around the hotel, on the bus, at batting practice, uh, wherever. I mean, when we're on the road, we see them all the time. And when we're here, if we want to go chat with them, go down to BP, and mm-hmm. they're all available. This is from Matthew in Chambly. And I'm going to alter your question just a little bit, Matthew. He says, uh, I enjoyed hearing Joe talk about batting practice at Tiger Stadium, which prompts his question, which is, if you could pick a ballpark from the past to replace the team's uh, – that team's current ballpark what would it be i'm going to ask you guys if you could do a game a broadcast from a stadium that no longer exists which one would you pick based that, on what you know of them yeah that, that's pretty easy for me i got two of them uh number one one we've talked about a lot tiger stadium um the stories you have told about where the press box would sit and how close you were to the plate um to me that would be awesome I, i'd love to broadcast there uh, original Yankee Stadium, and, and if I could, Yankee Stadium before it was uh, redone in, what was that, the 70s? Yeah, 77, 78. The, the original Yankee Stadium yeah. built in the early 20s, that's the one I'd like to work in with, with the original freeze of the top and the columns and uh, the, the monuments in center field. Right. That would just be, I mean, right at the top of the list. I, I re, If I could to answer, the funny thing is if I could answer his question, I, I still wish they could have found a way to do to fit to um, Comiskey Park in Chicago what the Red Sox have done to Fenway. Uh, that's it was the first All Star game was there. Um, there's so much history there. I would have loved it. Just looks so cool with the the white exterior when they whitewashed it and those mm-hmm. uh, opening panels above the seats in the outfield and it just looked like a gorgeous place and a place that I would have loved to have seen. I tell you what else they did. They painted the the rails. Uh, in between all the box seats. In the old days, there weren't just rails going down the aisles. There were like rails that separated each little section of box seats. Yeah. And they had, had they were green seats and they had white rails. Man, that really popped. Uh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I love the details of the old ballparks. And Fenway being over 100 years old, we were talking about this when we were there last week. It's an old, iconic ballpark, but they have really made it modern where we work and throughout the course of the ballpark. So you still get that old flair, but where we work, it's, it's, it's a convenient ballpark yeah. to work in. It's, it's not like Wrigley was before they did their renovations. So they've done a really nice job making it more modern while you kept the charm of the keeping place. The charm. Yeah. Um, to answer that question though, for me, a ballpark I didn't get to work in, I wish I would have had the chance to uh, probably uh, Atlanta Fulton County stadium. Oh, really? Yeah. Went to many games there, obviously, as a kid growing up. It's where I grew up. I went to games there all the time, so I think it would have been cool to have had the chance to work work in that stadium. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, this is from Kip in Bremen, Georgia. Outside of Spencer Strider, which current Brave starting pitcher could you see thriving in a closer role, much like Smoltz did towards the end of his career? Uh, good question. I mean, Spencer's the obvious answer. I, I don't. I know people bring up the conversation of of Strider as a closer. That's not even anything I want to even think about. He's he's going to strike out three hundred guys this year. He's my front runner for the National League Cy Young at this yeah. point of the season. I, I think he's so valuable in the rotation. But if the time came where 
He needed to move out of the rotation for one inning. Yeah, he could easily do that. You need somebody with swing and miss stuff. Yeah. If he came back healthy at some point, uh, Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright could fit that, but you need swing and miss stuff. It's not often that you have a closer who is a ground ball guy, you yeah. know, who's pitching to contact. That's not That's your dangerous. Clo- That's not your closer. Uh, Trevor Hoffman, uh, he threw in the 90s. But he had a devastating changeup. He had a swing and miss changeup that got him into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he he wasn't a like I said he wasn't a blazer. He just had a great out pitch. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know either. Nobody else really. I mean, look, Charlie gets lots of swings and misses, but he hits guys, and like we saw last night yeah. with the walks. If the curveball's not on, it's not going to be a pretty situation. Oh lordy! I when I was with the Dodgers at one point, Charlie Huff was closing. Wow, knuckleballer! Knuckleballer! Goodness! You know, there'd be a tying run at third base in the ninth inning, and you're going, oh, "No, no, no! <laughs> Just one good knuckleball away from you know that's game being tied." Gosh! And he did that for a while, and it worked. But man, it was scary every time that he came in with runners on. Yeah, I don't like being scared in the ninth. No, I don't want to see contact or wild pitches or hit <laughs> batters. Just nice swing and miss, and on to the next game. Um, hey, my name is Jacob. I've been listening to you guys since the first podcast and have forced my wife to listen as well on long car rides. I have a, a question regarding the front office, more specifically how rare it is that they keep trade slash extensions under wraps and so tight-lipped and how that is compared to other front offices. Also, um, have to know what is your favorite trade deadline acquisition. Um, you know, Fred McGriff comes to mind. Yeah, mine too. And what We're the team Fred did tonight? Yeah, we'll see Fred tonight. He'll be here. And what the team did two years ago, obviously towards the top of the list. I, I think to answer your first question, Jacob, um, it's by necessity that they stay tight-lipped. I mean, Alex has told us before he has a tight circle, and they all know nothing gets outside of that circle because there are dozens and dozens of the quote-unquote baseball insiders who all they care about is being first to tweet out any information. It, it really makes me laugh when some of these guys are tweeting out on today, on the trade deadline day, uh, this GM has checked in on this player. Well, duh. Yeah. That's their job. They check in on everybody. Yeah. You're not breaking news that Alex Anthopoulos checked in on Justin Verlander. Of course he did. Doesn't mean he's going to shop down that aisle, but everybody wants to check what the price is, what other teams sure. are saying. They're not doing their job if they don't do that. And, and they don't want everybody to know. It's not for public knowledge and especially opposing general managers to know what you may have offered for a player. Right. You, you darn sure don't want that out there. Right. You know, if there's a player you're trying to acquire, the general manager of that player might tell another GM, oh, you're going to have to jump higher. Yeah. You know, I've, I've already got a real a better offer. You know, he could he could do that just to try to drive the price up. Mm-hmm. But uh, you you don't want it out there What who you're looking at and how hard you're looking. Yeah, a lot of times when some of this stuff leaks prematurely, it's the agents of the players oh, who are yeah. leaking the information, not the general managers. No question. Um, love listening to you guys. This is from Ben Roberson in Pell City, Alabama. Love listening to you guys. I really believe the Braves radio booth is the best in the game. We thank you for that. My question is, what are y'all's, as he wrote, y'all's personal most memorable moment of the season so far question for all three of us um towards the top of my list is that 13 10 went over the Mets that night mm-hmm. that's up there I'm trying to think of something i mean there's obviously lots of memories but um that's way up there for me um you, either about three or four outings for strider where he's at 13 14 strikeouts or whatever those are towards the top of the list i i love walk off homes at win i i walk-off wins at home i don't care who hits it i don't mm-hmm. care how it's done uh it's just so thrilling for our fans for that moment that point of excitement to have that happen ozzy's was pretty amazing yeah oh gosh yeah there's a yeah. lot of things that we could go on and on about this but something that kind of just popped in the front of my mind was the last time the marlins came in here and they came in riding high kind of pounding their chest a little bit um, you know, had went on a run and 
weren't necessarily within striking distance, but were feeling really good about themselves coming in, and uh, they were reminded real quickly uh, who runs the show in the NL East. Yeah, that was that was a fun one. That was a sweep. Yeah. Um, I think they were only four out when they came in. Too. Yeah, that makes sense. Believe so. Believe so. Um, the two wins in Philadelphia, where they were sandwiched around that that uh, rain, out. rain out. That was those were two big ones. That was a good road trip. Had a bunch of good road trips, but um, yeah, those were good. And um, hopefully we, we have some more answers to that question here in about three months as we get better and better moments between now and first few days of November. I have another good question from uh, Long Haul Trucker from Chicago, Patrick. These guys really listen to us a lot when they're driving, you know. I'm glad they do. Considering how good Ron Washington is as a third base coach and how respected he seems to be by the players, is there a chance he gets offered a job managing? And do first and third base coaches ever make that move, or is that something typically reserved for bench coaches? Well, Patrick, I thought that uh, Wash is going to be coming your way this year when the White Sox job was open. I, I really felt like he was going to get that job. I thought it made a whole lot of sense. Um, didn't work out, and um, White Sox might be looking back on that, wishing they had gone a different direction. They interviewed him in San Diego a few years ago. Yeah, uh, That job went to someone else. He's no longer there. Uh, but I don't know. Do you think, Joe, he's kind of getting to that point where – how old's Wash? 70? 71. You know, I don't think – to me personally, age doesn't mean a thing. But do you think some people may feel that way? Oh, I, I do. Uh, especially a younger uh, generation GM. They're going to think maybe he is too old school for today's game, uh, unfortunately but he would be an asset to any organization, even if it was just for a couple of years uh, to help get their organization organization playing baseball right. the right way, get them back on track. He could do that. Yeah. Isn't it funny, though, that some of these teams that have went really young wind up going uh, being replaced by Bruce Bochy yeah. or Dusty Baker? Well, that's the thing. It's, it's starting to swing Spencer. back the other way. Yeah. I mean, for the three guys you're talking about, it, here in the last two, three off seasons, I feel like it started to swing back towards the more – experienced veteran accomplished uh managers brian yeah. snitker yeah you know he was no kid when they when they hired him uh i the other part of that question is yeah they'll hire, hire first and third base coaches it doesn't it's not like uh the first uh, the last step you take as a coach is as a bench coach although it is certainly important because you're involved with every aspect of the game pitch by pitch to help your manager sitting at his side and walt weiss does a great job of that for Brian Snitker. Uh, I don't think it matters where you're coaching. There are lots of things that have led to this team's success for the last five-plus years. The staff and the continuity of the staff and the experience of this staff, I think it's a big part of that. Yeah, and I don't mean this is a, a knock on anybody. Uh, typically, uh, the pitching coach is not one of those guys. Yeah. He's not one of the guys considered for a managing job, and the reason I say that is there are very few pitching coaches or pit former pitchers that have been successful as a manager. And Bud Black has had about as long a career as any pitcher that I can think of as a manager. Uh, it just sometimes, for some whatever reason, that doesn't typically work. It's always the catchers. Yeah. Got a bunch of them. Yeah. I think what's led to a lot of the Brave success over the last – winning the East the last five years and looks like it could be six in a row, somehow they've kept that staff together. Uh, they haven't had anyone come and poach some of these guys from the organization to manage ball clubs. Uh, it's really remarkable to me that they've been able to keep this core together as long as they have here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We lost, as successful as they've been. We lost an assistant hitting coach. Yeah. Uh, that's the only guy I can think of, and that right. was Nachi. Out of the White Sox. Mm -hmm. Any other questions before we wrap it up, guys? Uh, here's one from Ed. Why doesn't Matt Olson get more attention when it comes to the MVP discussion? I think that's slowly starting to to shift. And look, Ronald got out to such a really good start that immediately he was everybody's top pick, and he's maintained that. So people aren't going to come off that. But you're right, I think he deserves to be in the conversation. When you're leading the league in homers and RBIs, you definitely deserve to be in the conversation. And I think uh, so long as things continue and everybody remains healthy, it's going to be a day where the Braves kind of clean up on the day they have individual awards. I'm liking their chances for some really big individual awards this year. 
So he deserves to be in the conversation. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. All right, that'll wrap things up for us. And um, this has been a very special trade deadline show. And hopefully here in the next two hours, there will be some more breaking news we'll be talking about on our next edition uh, from the Braves booth. But until then, thanks so whoa, much whoa, as whoa, always. Whoa, 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 I got something. No, you don't. Yeah, just got a... Eggs, milk. No, that's oh, not it. Wrong one. Never mind. <laughs> Same amount of urgency. Same amount of importance, but... Not for this show. Yeah, we appreciate your questions and your comments. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. You can shoot us a comment or question anytime you want. We'll have it on the next episode. Until then, for Jay Chad, for Joe, I'm Ben. This has been from the Braves Booth.